Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. We are in the midst of our uh, series. We try to do series uh, every winter, spring, every uh, fall. This, this particular series is about growing in your spiritual discernment. And our theme for today is actually one of the keys to discernment is learning to see. Not just see what's happening around you or not just see what's going on in your life, but also to begin to see what God is doing in all things. And so our, our passage for today is a, a passage of healing. It's John chapter 9. We're going to look at pretty much the whole chapter. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but we're going to look at the story of the whole chapter. And I want to begin with this. I want you to think through this with me. In this story, there's only one person who sees. And the person who sees is the one who gives sight to others. First, we begin with a person who's physically blind. In verse 1, it says, as Jesus passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. This man had been blind since birth. And so Jesus speaks about this situation, and I'd like you to read this part with me, because I like it when we as a church read God's word together. So this is verse 4. Read it with me. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now, the first step to see if you're spiritually discerning is if you believe that we have now found a methodology for getting rid of blindness. We spit on the ground. We make mud with the saliva. And isn't it interesting here? It says, and he anointed. I always never called it anointing when I put mud in people's eyes, but... But some people will believe because, well, that's the way Jesus did it, so let's do it the way Jesus did it. But I almost guarantee you that most of the time, if you put mud in a blind person's eyes, they will still be blind. The mud is not the means or the cause. The cause is the only one in this story who has sight, and he's the only one in the story who can give sight. He's the cause. And if you've, ever, if you've ever been trapped in that kind of thought where if I just have enough faith, I'll get healed in something, what you're doing is you're making faith the cause. If you make your faith the cause, you will have nothing happen because faith can do nothing. It is Jesus the cause, and Jesus is always the cause and since Jesus is the cause, you can put your faith in Jesus and your faith becomes a means. It becomes the mud for your healing. 
Are you tracking with me in this? See, until we have a biblical view of faith, we will keep putting on ourselves and others a faith that we cannot sustain. You see, even if you have a little faith, but the object of your faith is great, then the little faith will make great things happen. Any time and any place in your life where Jesus is not the cause, then faith will not be the means. No more than mud can heal a blind person without Jesus. And you might even spit in a lot, and it still won't make the blind person see. What's so important about this? Well, one of the most common miracles that Jesus performs is giving the blind their sight. Why is that so important? Well, if you, if you understand spiritually, what Jesus is doing is he's saying every one of us is spiritually blind. And so the spiritual journey itself is a journey from blindness to sight, from spiritual blindness to spiritual sight. And spiritual sight is what spiritual discernment is. This is the heart. Before you know or do anything else, if you can't see what Jesus is doing, then you can't discern spiritually in an effective way. So here's what we're looking to do. We're looking to move in our sight to see God everywhere and in all things that are happening in our life. Why do I say that? Well, because Jesus himself said, my father is always at work. So even when you don't understand it, the father is at work. And Jesus said, I too am working. So here's what the spiritual journey is. The spiritual journey can be understood as the movement from seeing God nowhere or seeing, only God, seeing God only where we expect to see him to seeing God everywhere, especially where we least expect him. Come on, track with me in this. This can change your life. Why don't you read it with me where it says spiritual journey, just, just to get your own voice around this. The spiritual journey can be understood as the movement from seeing God nowhere or seeing God only where we expect to see him to seeing God everywhere, especially where we least expect him. So one of the writers about spiritual discernment was a man by the name of Ignatius of Loyola. And he defined the aim of all of his work in discernment as finding God in all things in order that we may love and serve God in all. See, there are times when it's easy to serve God when you understand what he's doing. When you understand what the results will be, it's pretty easy to serve God, and it's not hard to love God in those moments. But we are in a moment that's not easy to see what God is doing. And so we have to be those who are spiritually sighted to find what God is doing in this moment. Not just waiting for another moment, but in this moment. And just love and serve him in every moment. This is the call on your life. In some ways, anybody can love when you feel like it's going your way. But what we're looking for is an ever-increasing capacity to see or discern the works of God in the midst of the human situation so that we can align ourselves with whatever it is that God is doing. If you become somewhat spiritually 
sensitized. You want to realize that being out of alignment with what God is doing is the worst thing for your life. You can be aligned with the mob and you'll say, look, everybody else is doing it, which sounds a lot like an adolescent, which doesn't sound like maturity. It sounds like an excuse. Or you can begin to say, God has called me to see what he's up to and to align my life with his. And it's possible it'll cost you. Well, this situation that we're looking at was, shows it's not always easy to discern God's will. So John 9, which we just read a little bit of it, it records the account of a group of very religious people. You would think they would be spiritually sighted. But rather, they could not recognize the work of God in their midst, and they actually missed the opportunity to join God in what he was doing. Here's an interesting fact in the scriptures. Jesus will do one thing in our midst, and he'll see if we'll accept it. If we accept his invitation, he'll do more. If we miss it, he will move on. If Jesus, right now, which I know he is, is speaking to you and inviting you into a deeper relationship with him, and he's asking you to trust him in something, then he's ready to do more. But if you are unable to see what he's doing, then he won't do more because he's not going to make you more responsible than you already are. He will not keep hammering at your unbelief until you decide my unbelief doesn't work for me. Because there's a lot of reasons, but one reason is this. What you believe is up to you. That, that's the part of your heart that has a level of choice like no other place, is what you have chosen to believe is what you have chosen to believe. Now, the rest of us can support you. We can, we can talk to you. We can try to persuade you. But in your heart of hearts, the only person who chooses what you believe is you. And when you begin to align your beliefs with the truth of God's word, more things will happen. But when you keep your heart closed to the things of God's word, less things happen. Until finally you go, hey, this isn't working for me. You know what repentance really is? It's recognizing that what you think, what you believe, what you're doing doesn't work. Until you decide it doesn't work, you'll keep doing it. It's not a whole bunch of emotions. It's not a crying about something, being sorrowful. Usually that's just because you got caught. But real repentance is when in your heart of hearts you go, you know what? This doubting, this unbelief, this insecurity, this fear, it's not working for me. And then you begin to seek and say, what would work for me? But it takes a whole lot to get a person away from unbelief. So here we see it in this passage. Religious people, I mean, they should have known better. And the religious leaders were the worst. You're going to see that, that the more religious they were, the more blind they were. 
And they should have been more sighted, but they were the, had the greatest level of spiritual blindness. So here we see in the story, everybody sees the exact same thing. There's a man. He's blind. He, get, he meets Jesus. Jesus touches him, and he's no longer blind. He's sighted. Everybody sees it. And yet, everybody interprets it completely differently. And none of them want to name it a work of God. I, we still do this today. I've seen people healed in Jesus' name, and they said it was of the devil. I'm not really sure the devil can heal in Jesus' name. Doesn't make sense to me. But yet, Christians will do that because it doesn't fit with their religious paradigm. You see, if in your mind you say something's impossible, and then it happens, it's still impossible to you, so it didn't really happen. That's what happened on this day. Instead of celebration for a healed man, instead it became a day of controversy, debate, fear, and expulsion. You understand what I'm saying here? Jesus healed one. He could have healed many. Jesus healed one. He could have healed all of them. But instead, they disputed the one. So there were no more. Come on, you got to get this. Because it, all, of us, all of us who live in this area, we're cynics and we're skeptics and we're afraid we're going to get fooled. And so we keep our guards up for everything. Well, that's what they did. They had their guards up. And so Jesus, who could have given sight to all, only gives sight to one. It's important that you recognize. We were just singing, God, we need a move. Guess who needs to move first? You. Because if, you, if he moves with you, then it'll spread. If your faith, even though it's as small as a mustard seed, but you begin to take hold of how big Jesus is, you can say to the mountain, move, and it will be moved. So what was it that prevented his family, his friends, his neighbors, all from recognizing this presence and activity of God? This is really what we're driving at for these eight weeks. How do you get your eyes to see the presence of God? How do you get your eyes to see the activity of God so that you can join him instead of thwarting him? Well, what do we need to see? Well, let's start here. So we, we have the good news, right? Jesus healed the blind man. That's exciting. Come on, you don't look excited. Jesus healed the blind man. All right? The blind man didn't have any faith expressed. The blind man just had a need. Come on, that's good news. All you, you, you have to have a need. And guess what? You have to take the need to Jesus. And Jesus will even use mud and spit to make you well. But here's the bad news. Those who should have been seeing spiritual reality most clearly were the ones most blind and undiscerning. They were the ones most out of touch with God's heart for this situation. The disciples, their question isn't, yay, Jesus, how do we do this? Their question was, who sinned? This man 
or his parents. You understand, these guys are with Jesus, and yet there's no love in their heart for the man who got healed. There's no compassion for, his, for this man. A matter of, I mean, you, you realize it's not compassion to go, which one of these people sinned and made this happen? There's no concern for his well-being. This isn't even polite. They turned it instead into an object lesson, and guess what? They made him, he was a person, but they made him into a problem to be solved. You understand, reducing a person to a problem to be solved is a sin in and of itself. You, <laughs> you need to get this. You're, you're a person. You need to be healed. You're not a machine that needs to be fixed. In other words, I can't just give you some instructions and you get better. You're a person who has to meet a person named Jesus who, who will treat you as a person, not a problem. And who will meet you in your situation and his presence alone will make it better. But these guys missed it. Here's what uh, Ruth Haley Barton is a great writer on discernment. And she, she mentions this story. She said they distanced themselves from the raw humanity of the situation. Why would they do that? Well, because it's easier to talk about a concept than actually to be a person. Than actually to deal with how messy the world is. It's easier to talk about a theology of sin than actually to love sinners. So they distanced themselves. And they actually were distancing themselves from their own calling as Christ followers to make a compassionate response. They were with Jesus, but they weren't really with Jesus. Instead of seeing this as an occasion to care for another human being and to wonder about the spiritual possibilities present in the situation, they added insult to injury by asking the blame question. Whose fault is it that this happened? Now, I know I'm asking a lot of you, but this story is indicative of tremendous number of experiences I've had in the church is that there's often a distancing from people and, and instead trying to just figure out, well, whose fault is this? Who's to blame? Have you ever solved anything by figuring out who's to blame? Have you ever healed anything by figuring out who was to blame? And usually the ones who are asking who's to blame are to blame. They just want to find someone else to blame. <laughs> And, and if you haven't gotten to the place where you're catching yourself when you're blaming people for your problems, then you don't see. And what you're doing quite often is you're, you're putting and entrusting your emotional well-being, your spiritual well-being, into the arms or into the, the, the hands of people that you're blaming. It's as simple as this. You make me crazy. Well, it's their fault I'm crazy. You, you make me angry. It's your fault I'm angry. Guess what? The only person who can really let you be angry is you. And God brings people in your life to reveal how crazy you really are. They're actually messengers from God. 
Because you wouldn't know how crazy you were if they weren't there. We've got to begin to discern better. Because you understand the attacks of the enemy can intensify. Higher levels, higher devils. And what happens is, the more pressure on you, the more brokenness is revealed from you. And if you choose in your brokenness to blame, you will not get healed. Because even if they get fixed, you're still broken. Even if you get a new boss or a new spouse or a whole new family, you're still the constant in your life and you're the constant broken person in your life. And until you say, wait a minute, I've got to quit blaming others and find out what God is trying to show me. Because his heart is to heal you. He doesn't bring these people into your life to embarrass you. He brings them into your life because it's the only way to reveal you. I'm not saying I like that procedure. I'm just saying it is reality. And wisdom is competence in regards to how life really works. And what I started to realize is all of these different people who are creating such havoc and chaos in my life had actually been sent by God to show me how much havoc and chaos was in my life. Now, I could keep blaming them and keep the havoc and chaos going, or I could say, God, you're speaking to me. It's always a choice. Will I stay with Jesus, or will I develop my own theology so I can protect my own dysfunction? That's what the disciples are doing. Jesus is the light of the world. It's scary to be that close to the light when you've got so much darkness in you. And all of us have darkness in us. So this story, and John, this is what I love about the Bible. John's one of those disciples. And yet he's writing this story and he's revealing his own blindness. And what John is saying here is the disciples were more blind than the blind man. Come on, that's a pretty good one. I like that one. Are you struggling with what I'm saying today? Come on. So what that... What happened with the disciples is they had structured their blindness. Guess what's happened in the church in America? Structured blindness. You can call it other things, and it's probably right, but in its essence, it's the same structured blindness we see in the disciples. They had a belief system. They adhered to it. Here was, the simple, here was a simple belief. If he's blind, he must have done something wrong. There must be sin in his life, and God is punishing him with blindness. So it's either his parents' sin, or it's his sin. There's no other accounting for it. That's, that's the way they looked at life. So when bad things happen, God's punishing me. When good things happen, I must be okay. I always laugh because I, I love to play golf with people who are outside the church. And so I hit a good drive and they go, oh, you must be living right. <laughs> I hit a bad drive. They go, oh, you're not praying enough. <laughs> they go, you're playing too much and praying too little. 
<laughs> As if my golf game is a reflection of my prayer life. <laughs> but that's the way people think. If it goes well for me, I must be doing something right. If it goes badly for me, I must have done something wrong. You understand? We're not that far from 2,000 years ago. But what did we say last week? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of... Well, what kind of fear is it? Is it the fear, oh no, if I do wrong, he's going to get me? If I do right, he's got to bless me? That's not, that's not healthy fear. That's negative fear. That's selfish, self-centered fear. That means I'm serving God just so I can get out of trouble. Or I'm serving God just so I can get the blessings. Well, that's exactly what Satan said Job was serving God for, just for the blessing. And he took all the blessings away. And guess what? Job still served God. Because the issue isn't whether or not you serve God for the blessings. It's whether or not you serve God for God. And besides that, if you really understand Jesus, and you really understand the cross, then you realize, yes, God is great, but he's chosen not to hurt me. He's chosen not to punish me. He's chosen not to condemn me because he condemned his own son so he would never have to condemn me. Oh yeah, he's a great God. He's omnipotent, he's omnipresent, he's omniscient, and all those big Latin words that you don't even care about. But he won't hurt you because he hurt Jesus for you. And until we get that, we can't be wise. And we'll still look at things and go, oh, God's punished me because I didn't pray enough. Oh, God's punishing me because I screwed up. You understand, my God is just. And that means this. He will never ask for a second payment for something he's already received a payment for. But you see, the disciples didn't get that. So Jesus had to say to them, hey, you know, it's fortunate Jesus is nicer than we are. We'd be like, hey, knuckleheads. This guy's right here in front of you. You're not even asking me in private. You're asking me in front of him and his parents. Not even have etiquette here. But what did Jesus say? You're asking the wrong question. He goes, neither this man nor his parents sinned. The question has nothing to do with spiritual reality as it's unfolding right now. Do you understand? Sometimes your question reflects how little spiritual discernment you have because it's not reflecting the spiritual reality that God's unfolding in your life. And he will not, add, he will not give the answer you're looking for to a question that's not based in reality. Neither sin, Jesus said. The question is wrong. But the possibility that God would use this to reveal his glory has not even crossed their mind. You know, in some ways, you and I, in order to have true spiritual discernment, we have to think bigger than we've ever thought before. Do you understand everything you're going through right now? God is going to reveal himself to you as the God of glory. You may not know how, you may not know when, but Jesus says, you, if you'll wait, if you'll watch, if you'll see, you'll see the glory of God. Amen. But you see, we want to see solutions now. They're like, how can we preclude blindness is really what, you know, if nobody ever sins, then they won't be blind. 
But Jesus is saying that's the wrong question. All right, so the right question. This is, this is where I'm asking you to really think. The right question. What is God doing in this situation? And how can I get on board with it? Would you, would you wrap that one around your heart with me? You can ask this question at any time. What is God doing in this situation? And how can I get on board with it? That's how you take one healing and make it a hundred healings. See, what good does the blame question do? The real question is, what is God going to do with this blindness? Jesus engaged the heartbreak and the complexity of the situation by pointing out the most amazing possibilities for God to be at work. He said, let's learn how to see and then get involved. Would you say that with me? Let's learn how to see and then get involved. See, here's what discernment means. Is it always has to lead you toward loving real people. If it leads you away from loving real people, it's not discernment. One of the things that, that Hebrew, the, the writer of Hebrews says is you're getting trained in your life, whether you like it or not, if you're a believer. You're getting trained to discern what is good and what is evil. You understand what is good is what is of God and draws you closer to God. What is evil can look like good, but is not of God, even though it may look good. And it takes you away from God. So anything in your life, even if you say, oh, this is good and it makes me feel good, but it takes you away from God is not of God and therefore is evil. Well, you see, it takes discernment. And one of the things that you have to begin to realize is you can say, that's wrong. That's wrong behavior. People shouldn't act like that. But if it leads you away from love, then even your discernment at this moment is taking you away from God instead of taking you towards God. Do you understand? A blind person was seen as unclean, cursed, condemned by God. Nobody wanted to have relationship with a blind person. So they were, they were stigmatized. They were seen as unclean, condemned. Please understand this. In other words, religious people wanted nothing to do with them. But what did Jesus do? He didn't go find the religious person. He found the blind person. And he healed the blind person so the glory of God could be revealed in what people had stigmatized. And they called Jesus what? Friend of, friend of the religious? Friend of sinners. So if in all of your discernment, it's just making you hardened and it's making you condemning and it's making you judgmental. I'm not saying you check your mind and say this is wrong. You quit saying this is wrong and this is right. That's not Jesus's way. But even as you know what's right and wrong, you're moving towards love for those even who are wrong. Or else it's not spiritual discernment. It's training to understand that sometimes what feels good is not of God. Sometimes it feels good to be angry. Sometimes it feels good to be better than other people. To be right is a dangerous thing because it makes you feel superior to those who are wrong. 
Being right can be a trap. You're wishing you hadn't come this morning, aren't you? So, this understanding and seeing of the real needs in a real world leads you to concrete action. Otherwise, 1 Corinthians 13 comes into play. You see, if you do not have love, then you're just a clanging symbol, a noisy gong, which is a description of pagan prayer that never reaches to God. So, all right, <laughs> we get to go down the negative trail a little longer. So the, the disciples were blind, but the neighbors are blinded with religious and cultural figure, uh, filters. You see, all of us have filters because all of us are trying to understand and get a framework and, and make sense of reality. So we're all filled with cultural filters. You know, some of you have Fox News filters. Some of you have CNN News filters. Some of you have New York Times News filters. These are all filters. You know that the, the straight facts and truth are at none of those places. It's all through filters. What, what has happened is people have banded together all, for all time to figure out how do I make sense of reality? And they come into a certain perspective and they get other people to join them in that perspective. Well, religion is a filter. And the Jewish religion was a very strong cultural filter as well as a spiritual filter. It had to do with every aspect of your life. As a matter of fact, if you weren't in good standing at the temple or in the synagogue, you were excommunicated, you were, you were ostracized and isolated, you couldn't make a living. So you might see this blind man, but you're sitting there thinking, what's going to happen to me if I accept that he was blind, now he can see? And what's going to happen to me if I say, Jesus did this? You see, they're not, they're, they can look kind of ridiculous here because they're looking at this work and they're saying, well, how do we get around this? Ah, I got an idea. Okay, this guy has sight. Okay, this guy, but we don't know if he's that guy who used to not have sight. This guy has sight. You know, you know, he looks a little bit like that guy who was born blind, but I'm not sure it's him. And so they're like, you know, I'm not going to deny this guy has sight, but I'm denying whether he's the guy. So when they're asked, they're like, yeah, this guy has sight, but we don't know him. The guy we knew was blind. <laughs> I mean, it'd be funny if it wasn't real. You understand? Are you, are you tracking with me in this? So what's the point of this? What is John trying to say? Well, here's what he's saying about discernment. We only see what we're ready to see or what we expect to see or even desire to see. So when we say in the church in America, when we say there are, there are 
you know, systemic cultures of blindness among us, you're like, no, there's not. If I don't see it, it doesn't matter. But Jesus is saying, look at how ridiculous this is. This man was blind. Then he could see. So now you're denying that he's who he is. So that you can keep your culture. So you can keep your old beliefs. This is Ruth Haley Barton. She says, even when we're, and, and we're even more stuck when we are with others who share the same paradigms. How desperately we need practices, experience, and questions to help us get outside our paradigms so that we can see old realities in new ways. Can I just, can I say it this way to you? Hopefully you're tracking with me today. When God does one thing, we don't want him to stop with one thing because we can't handle it. It may blow away our old cultural ways of looking at things. It may blow away what our parents taught us. But what we need is what God teaches us, not what our parents taught us. What we need is what God is showing us, not what we've seen in our society. There is really and truly, there's no reason to protect a cultural framework that comes from human beings because it's flawed and it's blind. The only thing for you and I to do is to take hold of what Jesus is showing us, to take hold of what God wants to make glorious. Because if you'll take hold of the one healing, it'll turn into hundreds of healings. But we see in John 9, if you can't handle the one, that's the only one you get. Well, it gets worse. The neighbors don't even trust themselves at this point. They're so afraid of losing their status in this religious community that they turn to the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were the most religious people. They were the most learned in terms of the law of God and everything, but they hated Jesus. They didn't care that the man had been blind and now he could see. They had to find a way to destroy Jesus. So here's, how the, here's what they did. They said he worked on the Sabbath because the healing took place on the Sabbath. Now, obviously, if you just look at this in a very superficial way, you realize these guys who supposedly knew God know nothing about God. Because the God of the Bible loves to heal on the Sabbath. And he's not saying, I'm taking the Sabbath off from healing. It is a total misunderstanding of God. It's a misunderstanding of the Sabbath. And so what they're doing is they're taking the law and they're saying, we're going to destroy Jesus because he healed a blind man on the Sabbath. Do you not see the blindness of that? But you see, if they, have, if they accept Jesus' healing of the man, then they have to accept that Jesus is God. And if they, have, if they accept Jesus is God, it destroys everything they've invested in. Do you understand when, when Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again, he's not saying you've got to have a magical, mystical experience. You know what he's saying? You've got to start over. You've got to start over like a baby. You've got to relearn how to walk in God like you were a child. You have to go, you old man who's invested your whole life in religion, have to go and you have to start all over again. And he's saying you can't mix your religious nonsense with spiritual sight. See, a lot of us are like, God, you know, I just want you to add your wisdom to my already great wisdom. 
I just need a little supplement. I'm going you know, to drink your wisdom like a smoothie. With a little protein added in or something. It's as ridiculous as that. You understand, until you see how blind you are, you cannot begin to see. And so what did they do in their blindness? They tried to kill the one who had sight. And they tried to kill the one who could give them sight because he was a threat to their position. He was a threat to their security. But the problem is they couldn't get the healed man to back down from his story. So with everybody around him, asking all the wrong questions, arguing, posturing, maneuvering, trying to trip each other up, the healed man was on a journey to increasing spiritual sight. We started off the story in John 9, 11, he says, calls Jesus a man. By verse 17, he's calling him a prophet. You see the, you see the transition? By verse 33, a man from God. But here's something Jesus doesn't do often. Usually Jesus says, son of man, you know, in a, in a kind of uh, general way. But this time he reveals himself as the son of man to a man. The Son of Man is the Messiah. The Son of Man is the one promised to come and to pay for our sins. The Son of Man is the one who will die and rise again from the dead and ascend into heaven and send his Holy Spirit to us. Jesus was giving this man not only physical sight, but spiritual sight. And the man got it. Look at verse 38. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Anybody, anybody that ever tells you Jesus didn't believe he was deity? Then Jesus, if he's not deity, if Jesus didn't believe he was deity, when this man worshipped him, he would say, get up, worship God. But this man worshipped Jesus, and Jesus received it because Jesus is deity. Otherwise, this would be blasphemy. Come on, every now and then I give you really good ones. And, you, and only Alan just, only, you can't let Alan be the only one who's getting this. <laughs> this is exciting stuff. Look, to worship Jesus, to worship Jesus like he did, got him thrown out. The religious community, the religious leaders were not on the same journey. They threw him out. They were moving in the opposite direction. They were going deeper and deeper into spiritual darkness. This is what, this is one of my great concerns for each one of you. You decide the direction of your journey. You see, you have enough to go into deeper darkness by protecting yourself and protecting your position and not risking anything. Or Jesus is revealing himself to you and you'll be like the blind man and you may lose some stuff. It may cost you. It cost him his family. Because his parents are like, we're not sure. Cost him his community. We're not even sure this is the guy that was the guy. It cost him his religious standing because by following Jesus, they said, you're no longer accepted in our religion. But you see, their religion could tell him he was blind and he was cursed of God. But the religion couldn't take the curse away, nor could it take the blindness away. 
You see, you got to have more than religion to take your blindness away. You got to have Jesus because only Jesus has sight and only Jesus can give you sight. There are a lot of smarter people than us, but they're spiritually blind. You could be the least smart person in this room and yet could have the greatest spiritual sight because you're on a journey with Jesus. Well, here's what Jesus said to those those Pharisees. He said, I've come into this world to give sight to the blind and to make blind those who see. The Pharisees, surely we are not blind, are we? To which Jesus replied, you know, it would be better for you if you were. If you were blind, you would not have sinned. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. Here's the question. Are you on a journey with Jesus into spiritual sight? Are you protecting what everybody else has seen already and what you've seen? Are you protecting your position? Are you protecting, in a way, things that are not yours to protect even? Because you see, unless you begin to realize how blind you are, you will really never see. Thomas is going to lead our... Thomas, you guys all know Thomas Park, I hope. He is stepping up into a bigger role of pastoral care for us. Um, so he's, we, we uh, have seen, it's kind of a strange growth time, we, you know, because we have less people in person, but we have so many more scattered about through online. And we want to make sure that we care for everybody in our church. And so Thomas is heading up and spearheading to make sure that when people have needs, when there's hospital visits, all these kind of things, Thomas is, is the, really facilitating that all of that happens. And I'm so thankful for him. And he's going to close our prayer time today. Would you stand with me? I'll close out with the prayer. <clears throat> Pastor Mike all the time has so many wonderful things but one thing just keep ringing in my ear about this wisdom is that I mean we can see whatever we want to see and we can choose to believe whatever we want to choose to believe but we need to recognize there are times what we see what we believe does not work and we come to recognize that only one that he sees truly everything right is our Lord and he is the object of our faith and then there's just two things about this fear of the Lord is that God is love and he is good no matter what, we, what, what is going on gotta trust in his character he will never hurt us and we can trust him father god we thank you so much for who you are 
when we were blinded, not being able to see, you came and gave us the sight to see who you are and who we are in you. Now as you are learning in this uh, series of uh, uh, discernment, in any given situation, any given a moment, we want to see what you are doing. And we want to get on board with you. Not just our things that we want to see, what we expect to see, but we want to see the way that you see and, and respond to you in humility. And show us more of who you are, the beauty and the majesty and the love and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to see the things that the way that you see. We trust that you are good. We trust that you love us so much. You demonstrate that love on the cross for us. That we can go out into the world knowing that we are beloved daughters and sons of God. Now beginning to see with the eyes of the all circumstances we thank you in jesus name we pray